and seeing how, how I, I'm so excited, I think that some of y'all should be so excited in the house of God. I'm believing, God, that, that, that things in your life will take off this year, that, that you will enter into areas of your life this year that you never thought possible. As we come into the new year, we understand that we rejoice in the, in the glory of God that we've obtained in the last year. Somebody say amen. And if you give me just 20 minutes of your time, I'm going to teach you something today, and you are going to learn something so awesome, so wonderful, so spectacular, that you will not be able to run from God. Somebody say amen. amen. Aren't you tired of running? At some point, you've got to get tired of running from God. And understand that God simply wants to use you. Tell the person next to you, God wants to use you. You know, I'm tired of, I'm tired of every year we find ourselves restarting our life. Every year we have to, we're back to square one. We're going to start this over because I messed up last year. Come on, somebody know I'm talking to you. You're getting quiet because you're convicted or something. But every year you're saying, you know, God, I, I have to start. I got to do better this year because I didn't do good enough last year. If that's you, come on, just say amen. Because you ain't do the right things last year. You thought that now you have to come into this new year starting over. Somebody say the devil's a liar. Come on, answer these questions. Have you ever doubted the call or the work of God in your life? Somebody help me out here. Have you felt, ever found yourself in a position of defeat to end the year? One too many times. Come on. How many years have you gone in defeat and gone into the new year trying to find a victory in your life? Have you ever found yourself in doubt and in turmoil and desiring just to be free in your life? Desiring finding yourself in the old ways that you used to be with the old people, doing the old things you used to do. Somebody say amen. amen. Aren't you tired of the enemy coming into your life and taking what belongs to you? Pushing you back every time you feel like you're moving forward? Every time you're about a step ahead, the devil comes and pushes you two steps back? Every Sunday you come to church and all hell breaks loose on Sunday night? I know I ain't talking to myself. Somebody say amen. amen. If you realize that Romans chapter 8 verse 31, and this isn't my subject matter, but it says this. Then what shall we say? Because if God is for me, who can be against me? Do you understand that? If God is for you, who can be against you? Maybe that doesn't mean a lot to you because you don't understand who God is. But if you understand that God, the creator of the universe, he actually created the entire universe with just his mouth. He spoke it into existence. That guy who created the sun, which burns at about 93 million degrees Fahrenheit, that guy, the one who created the moon to light the night sky, that guy, he is on your side. And if he is on your side, then why should you be afraid? If God is on your side, then why should you have fear residing in your life? Fear should not be in your heart. The fact of the matter is God sees you coming out before you ever have to go into garbage. Did you hear that? God understands that you are a mighty woman or man before you ever have to go through the process to get there. Amen. Before you ever find yourself in a trial or a test, God already knows and he's calling you somebody who's like a straight A student. Come on. And although you look at yourself as a failure, and although you see yourself as somebody who has succumbed to the, to the world and to temptation so many times, God sees you as somebody who can make it right in your life. Tell the person next to you, it's time to make it right. Our subject matter for today is the story of Gideon, chapter, Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Judges 6, 1 through 14. This story before the end of it is going to be so much like your life, and you never even knew it. Somebody say amen. The Bible says this, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. 
I'm going to stop there. What's the key word in these verses? It's the first verse. It's kind of like your life. Again. Again, they found themselves living in sin. Like every other year, again, we find ourselves struggling in different areas of your life. Come on, if you got a struggle, understand that God can help you with it. If you don't got a struggle, then you're not doing something right in your life because in order to get through for God to fine-tune you, you're going to enter into a struggle in your life. And again, we always find ourselves failing, falling, slipping in sin. We find ourselves, I bet you, I bet you one thing, that if y'all thought about last year, and you said that, if you look now, see, I know for a fact that I look now, and I did things in 2009 that I said I would never do. Is somebody with me here? So I, I found myself making homes in areas of my life where I should have not made a home. If you're not, I, I'm breaking it down like this. I found myself in areas of sin, and yes, pastor's sin, believe it or not. I found myself in areas of sin in my life when yet I had, you're following me here. I had told myself I would never, ever go there. I won't go back to doing this. I won't do that. I won't go here. I, won't. I found myself in those places. Can anybody testify to that word again? That you're saying, I really want it. How many of you really have the intention of serving God? My father told me that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That everybody has good intentions of serving God. Everybody has good intentions of doing things right for God. But yet, it is those who fight through the intentions that come with temptations that are tied to sins in your life. I'm so tired of hearing people say the mind is the battlefield. I'm fighting the devil in my mind. Listen, it's only a fight if you choose to fight. The, 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 the mind is not the battlefield. There's no battle going on. If you're still struggling with your sin, with your issues, you have to realize that this is your year. Y'all you, ain't catch that. This is your year. Yes. We had a service on Friday, and God gave me this analogy. I love analogies. You know me. And he gave me this analogy. When I buy, see, this is my best friend. My Dash 3G is my best friend. My phone, it's just, I heard somebody say, boo. We're going to pray for you directly after service following. We're going to get you. The, we're gonna, you, you need the heavy-duty motor oil. <laughs> no Goya for you. Somebody say amen. This is my oh, that anointing oil. It's Goya. It's olive oil. I'm just kidding. This is my best friend. See, some of y'all would never, ever reach me unless I had this. I did a lot better last month. You see, in November, I had 16,800 text messages. Last month, I had 13,000. I'm working on it. I think I have to sit in a group session and say, you know what, I, I've got a problem. My name is Pastor Lewis, and I'm a textaholic. That's a lot of texting. So then, somebody texting me right now. <laughs> Probably one of y'all. My thing is this. When you buy a new battery, a new phone, excuse me, it comes with a battery. And although the battery has a slight charge to be able to probably run the phone for two to three hours, the instructions on the package, if y'all read that, which I'm Puerto Rican, I don't. And I found this out the hard way. It tells you to don't use the phone, to charge it first so you can fill the battery to maximum capacity. Because if you use the battery at half capacity and kill it, then your battery will never, ever reach full potential. It'll never refill past that 50% mark. 
I'm going somewhere with this. It's like the beginning of the year in your life. If you don't give 100% to God, you don't stop what you're doing. That's, that's the time of year to stop all the garbage and the crap in your life. I said crap in church. I'm sorry. And to stop all the garbage and say, you know what? I'm going to give God a real chance in my life. I'm going to stop dilly-dallying around. I'm going to stop just kicking around and beating around the bush. And I'm going to give God a thing called everything in my life. And that I'm going to get on fire for God. And that I'm not going to be like Israel in this story. And again, somebody say again, find myself in a place of defeat. I don't want to be defeated by the end of this year. I don't know about you, but I got tired years ago of just trying to get by. Y'all caught that? I'm tired of just making it barely. I got tired of that. So I decided to build my spirit up so that I can go into each year victoriously. Somebody say amen. amen. It seems that every year we reach a new low in our life. <clears throat> a place you never wanted to be, you reach a new low in your life. A new level of confusion comes into your life every year. A new complexity into your life. Somebody say God has a plan. Come on. Just trying to make it through, just barely hanging on. We're like Christians on life support. Anorexic, bohemic Christians allowing the enemy to always take the very seed in which God has for you. Always trying to attack the very thing God has for you. Somebody say amen. amen. Verse 3 says this. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites, or the eastern peoples involved in the country, invaded the country, excuse me, they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. You're reading that scripture. That's an awesome scripture. It tells me this, that every time they were about to harvest, you know what harvest is? You plant your seed, you sit there, and you wait for it to grow, you water it, you tend to it, and then it's time to actually get paid. That's like when the government comes and takes your check for child support. When the government comes and takes your, 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 your income tax return for back taxes or for something you owe. Y'all follow me here? When they come and take, can you imagine working every week and at the end of the week your mother or your father or somebody, one of your cousins go and take your check? Wouldn't that just be a horrendous experience? But that's what's taking place here. Every time it's time for them to harvest, to get the actual thing they worked so hard for, the enemy of their lives would come in and they would invade the country and they would steal from them. Understand that every time you come to church, the enemy is waiting to take the very seed that was poured into your life. Every time you read your Bible, the enemy is out to make you mad. He's out to upset you. He's out to break you, depress you, stress you. The devil is out to get you. It sounds cliche. It sounds almost funny. The devil's after me. Yes. The devil does not want you to read your Bible. The devil understands that every time you go to church, he has to come at you harder. And if you ain't been to church in a while, let me tell you something. You came today, all hell's going to break loose in your life later on. You can call me. You were right, pastor. Or they don't call me, text me, because I'm, I'm probably not going to pick up. I, I, to be really honest, I just press the ignore button. I just text you, what do you want? <laughs> That's how I've always been. God forgive me, help me. I don't know about you, but I've worked too hard in my life, to every, after every service, to allow the enemy to come into my life and, and take away things that I've worked hard for. Don't you think you've worked too hard for things in your life to let the devil come through and take it? I don't know about you, but I can testify to the fact that every time I'm moving ahead in my life, the enemy tries to revert me. 
I can come home from a great service and, and the devil would try and use anybody, any which way, anyhow, to try and stop me. And, and half the time it's going to be your family, let me tell you. Half the time God, the devil's going to use the people around you who are closest to you, who are supposed to stand by your side. He's going to use those people to make you hurt the most. Somebody say amen. amen. Every time you find purpose, you seem to find a new deposit of hopelessness in your spiritual bank. You go to church and you find, that's an awesome word. You know, I'm going to do what the pastor said. That was a great service. And you go home and it's like hopelessness meets you at the door. Hello? It's like Pastor P said, trouble seems to have my email address, my address, my phone number. It knows how to text me and everything. Trouble's going to find you. You understand in that? One of my favorite verses is for the last year I've been saying it. I believe Emma's been saying it with me. John chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said it himself. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So if you understand that Christ is living within you, and he who is within you has overcome the world already, then you with him in you can overcome the world. But the first part of the verse is the most important part. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. You will struggle. You will see your faith tested. You will see that your heart will be put to the test almost weekly and daily. You have got to realize something, that you have to take ownership for your life. Got real quiet. You got to take ownership for your life. You are in charge of your life. Understand that. I'm going to tell you something that might sound crazy. God is not going to change your life. That sounds crazy, right? God is not going to change the situation in your home. God is not going to change your drug addictions, your porn addictions. God is not going to change your addiction to drinking. God is not going to change none of that. If you're waiting for God to come into your house and just make everything disappear, it's not going to happen. If you're waiting for God to come into your life and to make every inhibition disappear, it doesn't work like that. You see, God is going to change you so that you can change your life, so that your life can go and change your home. And that your home instead can change your family. You see, we try too hard to push God down somebody's throat and tell them how they need Jesus. How about you just let them see Jesus? You see, you and I never knew I needed a BMW until I saw a BMW. And then when I saw the BMW, Carlos, I said, I need me a BMW. Before that, I didn't know I needed one. Just like, kind of like Heather's. Somebody say amen. There's something in your life that you never knew. You cannot crave for chocolate if you never ate chocolate. You following me? You can't sit there and crave for some hibachi. That stuff is so, y'all ever been to hibachi? That's one of my favorite foods. I was talking about it last night and I was just like, OMG, hibachi, like that is the stuff. Except when you have a cook who spits in you. I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you, but understand that when you go, you cannot crave that. When I first tasted hibachi, it was like crack. I was there that three times that week. I used every excuse to go there. Every which way possible, I wanted to go there. It was just, it was just that powerful and that good to me. God, Christ in your life should be like that. And that's how it is when you first meet Christ, when you first give your life to God, you first get that fire, you're so passionate, and then by the end of the year, you're like a dying energizer battery. You ain't going no more. Understand that. 
that it's time to recharge your battery. God is not going to change your situation. Put it this way, Jesus stood in the garden and he cried out, Father, not my will, but your will. The Bible doesn't even record God responding to him. He completely ignored him. If God wasn't going to change the, 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 the actual situation his very son was in, then why is God going to change your situation? You got to change your situation. You see, Jesus could have said, I'm not going to do this. It would have been done. But a done deal, we would have been hit. But since he hopped up on that cross and he laid down his life, he chose that. He changed his life. You got to change your own life. Somebody say amen. amen. Verse 5 says this. They came up with their livestock in their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it in the Midian. So impoverished the Israelites, they cried out to the Lord for help. Understand something. The Bible says here, they came up with everything of themselves. The enemy came with everything. This is how you have to read the Bible. It says they came with their livestock, their tent, everything. The devil is coming at you with everything. He's trying to make a home in your life. If you know anything about ancient history, you would not bring your tents to somewhere where you're going to fight them. You don't do that. An invading army would just bring the bare necessities to get across the desert or the plains or where they were going, and they would attack and they would go back. They were called nomadic warriors, nomadic tribes. They roamed about the country. They had no real home, but these people brought everything with them because the devil is out to make a home in the place that God has promised you. He is out to sit there and perplex your mind to the point where you can no longer receive and find yourself at home. That's why some of you can't even sleep in your own house because you have no peace at night. That's why there's always arguing and fighting in your home because the devil has made a home within your home. Mm. You're understanding this. He came with everything. Somebody say everything. He will bring everything against you. He won't stop until he has you. He is after the very seed of God in your life. He understands the seed is a threat of a future. Understand that when you give God your life, just like, just like Jaden's parents dedicated him today, the enemy now sees that Jaden is a threat to his life, although he may just be a baby right now. A few months ago, we dedicated Dante. He's just a little boy, but he is the future of this church because about 20 years ago, I was like those little boys. I was just nothing. I was a little kid, but understand that the devil saw the purpose in my life. The devil saw the purpose in your life. If I look at my band right now, my brother, he's my drummer. He was just a little boy many years ago, of course. Elias grew up in this church. Danielle grew up in this church. The bass players and, excuse me, the, the electric guitarist and the acoustic guitarist and Emmanuel who sings here in the corner, he grew up in this church. Realizing now that, that the enemy came against us so hard because they saw I had a purpose in my life. The devil can't handle purpose in your life. Once he realizes that you realize that you've got a purpose, he's going to come against you in any way possible. And let me tell you something, he's going to use Christians to come against you. He's going to bring the awesome Christian friends that we all have to come against you. The people around you might be sitting right next to you. That's just how church politics are. I'm sorry to bring it down to you. Everybody wants to think they have a perfect, happy church, but every church knows Every church should know that the devil is waiting to bring dissension amongst the church. To make you talk about each other and, and think about each other. Sometimes thinking is worse than talking, but I'm going to leave that alone. 
The devil understands that once you become an actual worshiper and not some quiet mouse worshiper, that you become a threat to the enemy. It's about high time that some of us quiet worshipers and silent prayer warriors actually stood up and opened their mouths before God and lived unashamed. Because the, the fact of the matter is, if some of y'all were at your favorite sports team's championship game, you would be hollering twice as many times, ten times as much as you do in church. Isn't that the truth? If I was at a Yankee World Series game, I'd, I'd lose my head. I would just go berserk. I know some of y'all are Mets fans. Not everyone's perfect. That's okay. <laughs> I know that. It's all right. Carlos, don't look at me with that conviction on your face. I understand that God is a Yankees fan. When they played the Angels, I understood the Yankees would win because the Angels are the ones who betrayed God. Don't you read the Bible? Don't you read the... God's a Yankees fan. I'm just kidding, but understand something. You have got to get radical. You show me a scripture in the Bible where it tells you to pray quietly. You show me a scripture where it says to sing a song softly. You tell me where it says to, to dance lightly. Now, don't do this, but there's a scripture in the Bible where King David, he got before the country, and he just, he actually got naked and danced in the street naked. I'm not telling you to do that, please. That would be horrible. In local news, the local church, that, that would be horrible. That, I can imagine that in Channel 12. I just, wow. What are they teaching over there? But I'm just telling you to get radical for God. To get so sincere about God that, that you are not ashamed of the person around you. You know, it's funny that, that when, when the church has a lot of visitors, that, that the people who have been there for their whole life who have no problem bouncing off the walls, they're suddenly so much quieter. We want to be reserved now because there's people who don't know me here. But God knows you. And I don't know about you, but I don't come to church for people. Because if not one of y'all were here this morning, I would still be here. Isn't, it, isn't that amazing that if none of y'all came, I would still be here. I serve God because of my relationship with God. Somebody say amen. amen. Verse 7, I'm almost done. Somebody say, he's almost done. he's almost done. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. And some of y'all, I'm just breaking this down. God might be saying this to you. He says this, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and I snatched you from the power of Egypt in the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave them the land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened. Now some of y'all probably sitting here saying, Pastor, I was never in Egypt. But I'm telling you this, Egypt is a metaphor. Egypt represents the, the area of your life where you sinned, where you struggled. Egypt represents the struggle. Somebody say the struggle. Throughout the Bible, you will see that Egypt represents a struggle, an area of sin. And God says, I delivered you from being in bondage. I delivered you. I don't understand why you went back. He said, I told you clear instructions on how to live your life. But he says right there, you have not listened. Tell the person next to you, but you have not listened. Can somebody say, yeah, I haven't listened? Do I have any honest people who can say, Pastor, I have not listened to God? You have to understand that the less you listen to God, the more you raise your risk. Of going to hell. That's just keeping it real. That's just, that's just the most realest way I can say it. If you don't value your life, by all means, don't obey God. What for? He's only going to give you eternal life. I mean, we don't want that, do we? We'd rather have fun in hell. I don't understand how some people describe hell as a party. 
Trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. Somebody said he's going somewhere. Now, we need to have a reality check. And we need to take account of our lives. Inventory yourself. And then every time God delivered you, why did it seem that you seemed to fall right back into the same issues you had before? Somebody say amen. amen. Every time God delivered you, you seem to just want to run back. God has delivered us and myself from more harm and more sin than I can remember and more things that I can ever, ever thank him for. God has delivered you from things you don't even know. But no sooner are we free that we run back to our sins. We seem to pick up the chains that God has taken off of us and say, well, I can use these somewhere. Understand that God does not want you to use the chains that he took off you to lock your gates at home. God wants you to take and run to the hills from which cometh your help. Because my help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Somebody say amen. amen. I don't know about you, but I'm going to let this year be a year of completion and promise in my life. Verse 11 and 12 says there's some awesome scriptures here. Here's the real part of the message. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash to Abazai, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat on a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, y'all didn't read the first part. I'm going to read that again. The angel of the Lord came down under the oak tree in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, to Abarazai, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Do you understand what he's doing here? I touched on this in a Bible study. Do you understand what Gideon is doing here? Gideon is hiding. He's afraid. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. Does anybody know what a wine press is for? A wine press is for wine. A wine press is for grapes. So how they used to do it was they had this wine press on the side of a mountaintop. And they would take and they would put it on the side and they would dig down. And they would lay a foundation of bedrock, probably big um, limestones and things of that nature. And they would make a perfect square or however big they wanted it. Sometimes it was a rectangle. And they would put it down in the ground so that all you can do is just see above your head. And what they would do is they would go and they would throw the grapes in there. They would stomp around, walk around, walk around. And it had a little drain and it would go down and it would go down to the vats and different things like that. But my point is this. Why was he in the wine press threshing wheat when he should have been on the threshing floor? Because the threshing floor was on top of the mountain. You see, when you thresh wheat, this thing called chafe comes off the wheat. And the chafe is the extra, the garbage in your life that you don't need. The things in your life that you don't need. The things that God has stripped from you that you keep finding yourself running back to. The Bible says that when you're on the threshing floor, the wind comes over the mountaintop and it takes the chaff away. You're hearing this. But because he was in a wine press. Because he was in a wine press, now that chafe is actually remaining right around the area he's in because the wind, the Holy Spirit, cannot get into the wine press to be able to remove the extra garbage in his life. You're following me here. Am I losing you? If I lose you, raise your hand. I'll go back, I promise. So my question to you is this. Are you in the wine press or the threshing floor? Are you hiding for your life? Are you running from God? You're hiding from the defeats in your life, afraid that people might know exactly what you've been doing and what you've been up to and what you've been seeing. Or you're on the threshing floor saying, God, I need you to take the extra garbage that is in my life out. 
Are you so worried about the opinions of somebody? If this angel would have came to me, I might have hit him. Do you know what he said to Gideon while Gideon's hiding? Oh, you mighty warrior. Did you get that? He was being really sarcastic almost. He was very rhetorical. You're a mighty man of God hiding in here. Oh, look at you, you awesome person. The King James Version says the word valor. Someone who has a brave heart. He's like, oh, you mighty man of valor. You're just hiding here in this wine press. Or was it that the angel of the Lord saw him as what he should be and not as he was? See, you may not think that you're a mighty man of valor because you're hiding in the wine press of your life. You may not think that you can overcome because you're hiding in the wine press of your life. You may think that your issues are too much to overcome because you're hiding where? In a wine press in your life when you should be in the threshing floor, but yet God approaches you and he says, oh, you're a mighty man or woman of valor. God has seen you win the fight before you got into the fight. Somebody say amen. amen. Understand that. God sees you as a champion before you ever go to war. I told you earlier, God sees you going out before you ever have to go in. And God sees you being a victor before you ever have to face a defeat. It doesn't matter what your current situations are, how you're living your life at this very moment. Because God says, I see you as a mighty woman or man of valor. And if you would just allow me to guide you, to lead you, to send you. If you would just believe me, you would see purpose restored to your life. You would see sincerity restored to your walk with Christ. You would see virtue restored where there is now destitution where you're looking at your life and you're saying, wow, I've compromised so much. I've made so many mistakes. God says if you would just give them right now. God can't do nothing about your yesterday. If he wanted to, he wouldn't. And if he could, he still wouldn't. God can't do nothing about what you did yesterday, how drunk you got on New Year's Eve, or what you did. God don't care what you did this whole weekend. All he can do is with your now. All God can work with is with your now because the past is the past. But the present and the future, the future is yet to come. I said it the other day to a couple of friends, and I, I believe I posted it on Facebook, and it's so simple, but I love it, is that, is that the past, God can't do nothing about. But the present is simply just that, a present. It's a gift from God. That's why they call it the present, because tomorrow's not guaranteed to nobody. You see, because next year I'm going to have another service, almost kind of the same one like this, the first Sunday of the year, and the fact of the matter is some of you might not be here. And by here, I don't mean this church, I mean this earth. And I don't want to have to go through another year wondering if I'm going to see victory in my life. Because I understand right now that if I maximize my now, that God can take control of my life. That if I say, God, right now, I, you, I may be in a wine press hiding, God, but I want to find myself, God. I want to find myself as a mighty man of valor as you see me. I want to be able to walk away from this lifestyle that I'm living that is damaging my, 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 my retires with my family. I want to be able to repair the relationships in my life. And I want to be able to change things. You hearing that? God has made you. He made you so perfect to actually shape the world around you. To, to make you the person you need to be so you can shape the culture of your city. Just one more verse here and it says this. But sir, 
Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned and put us into the hands of the Midianites. The Lord turned to him and said, go in strength and save Israel out of the hands of Midian. And I want you to remember this last part of the scripture. The angel of God looked at him and he said, am I not sending you? And when you think about that part, he says, am I not sending you? He's asking you a question right now. I'm trying to send you. You are the one that God has chosen to change your life. I can't change your life. I can't make you go home and act differently. I can't make you go home and be a Christian. I can't make you stop making excuses as to why you're never around, as to why you can't seek God, or as to why it's so easy for you to walk away from God. But yet God says that he wants to give you the opportunity. He says, am I not sending you? Tell the person next to you, he's sending you. Come on, tell him like you mean it, he's sending you. Verse 15 says this, the Lord getting asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down the Midianites together. Understand that he said, I am in the smallest tribe in my country. I am in the smallest clan in my tribe. And I am of the smallest family in my clan, and I am the youngest member in my family. But it's been my experience that although I am the youngest in my family, that God can still use me. Although my sister and my sister and my brother are all older than me, I understand that God has chosen me for this task. And that God has put a purpose in my life. And I don't care how weak you feel, how insignificant you feel in your life, how dumb you think you are. Why y'all snickering? Some of y'all think y'all dumb. It's the truth. That's why y'all don't go to school. We have no faith in ourselves. But God says, am I not sending you, you and me together? I, I can strike down the enemies of your soul with you. Come on, tell the person next to you, am I not sending you? Come on, stand with me right now. As we prepare to close out, if I can get my, some of my musicians up here. As we prepare to close this service out. I told some of y'all on Friday, this is my year of promise. And that there's nothing on the face of this earth that's going to stop me from achieving the maximum potential of God in my life right now. That there's nothing in this world that is going to stop me because I have my eyes on the prize this year. I'm not going to let nobody, nothing, no friend, no person, no nothing get in my way because I have an understanding that I need to rise up now. That this city, this nation, this state, this country, that we need men and women of God more than ever to rise up. That now more than ever our children need us. Your neighborhood needs you. You can maximize and change your neighborhood right now. You can change your very life right now. Somebody say amen. Come on, every head, every head bowed, every eye closed. As we come into the presence of God right now, I thank you so much for giving me your time this morning. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. We're not going to do a formal altar call, but I'm going to ask you if you want to change and if you understand that God is sending you just to raise your hand. Wow, thank you, thank you that God is sending you that no matter what you've done, where you've been, 
God still choose you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. There's just there's, there's, there's hands all across this room up right now. It's time to maximize your year. Let this be your year of promise that you won't keep going back and forth. Come on, just two more seconds. Anybody else? That's that you. Just, just shoot your hand up really quickly. Come on. If that's you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you're saying, I'm so tired of what I was used to doing. But I realize that I've been in a wine press for too long. And God says, it's time for me to come out. For the sake of myself, my family, my children, that I need to be a man or a woman of God. To set my house in order. Thank you so much. Come on, grab the hand of the person around you. More than 30, 40 people want to make that decision today to step into a covenant with Christ. To step into a covenant that says, I'm living a righteous life. And I'm living for God. Come on. Repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to give you my year. I want to start over right now. I want you to help me maximize my life. God, I understand that you are sending me. And I believe that I am more than a conqueror. I believe that I am a mighty man or woman of valor. That I understand that if you are for me, none can be against me. Father, I understand that you are sending me. So, Father, here I go. Help me change my world. Come on, somebody say amen. Come on, somebody say amen. I believe you can be seated right now. Understand that, that these decisions, these prayers come with a lifestyle change. You're hearing that? If you find yourself in the midst of a struggle, give me a call. Call somebody. If you find yourself, you need that extra surge, reach out to somebody. This, tell the person next to you, this is your year.